This is Regenerative Skills, the podcast helping you to learn the skills and solutions to create an abundant and connected future. I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher. I don't know about you, but even though there's unlimited information available online, I tend to learn best through doing things and actually getting my hands dirty. So if you're interested in making the leap from screens to the land, then I've got an exciting opportunity coming up. I'm going to be teaching some of my favorite subjects this upcoming autumn at the Green Rebel Farm in beautiful Miravet, Spain, a beautiful early-stage centropic agroforestry system in the Mediterranean mountains of Catalonia. From Tuesday the 11th to Sunday the 16th this October, I'll be guiding a five-day deep dive into the regenerative design process with a focus on agroforestry. This course is designed for people who are either considering buying land or who are at the early stages of developing a site and want to ensure that they set off on a profitable, regenerative trajectory. We'll work through the scale of permanence, learning to gather essential information from the landscape, vegetation, and soil. From there, we'll work through hydrological capture and restoration, planning for productive planting and reforestation, business considerations, soil health regeneration, and so much more. All of this, of course, will be taught through hands-on activities, so you leave not only knowing how to develop an effective and profitable design, but also with experience with the work and the skills that are required to make magic happen on the land. This course is almost already full, so don't wait to reserve your spot. Though the early bird discounts are over, there are still ways to save a bit of money if you sign up with a partner or a friend. So don't start your project with digital learning alone. Instead, come and get your hands dirty with inspiring, like-minded people and level up your skills this autumn. You can get all the details by clicking on the link at regenerativeskills.com or on our link tree in the bio on our Instagram. So sign up now and I'll look forward to seeing you in the orchard soon. Hey everybody and welcome back. Now ever since moving to Europe three years ago, I've been working to understand both the differences and the similarities between the cultural, societal, and governmental background that I'm more familiar with from the USA and Mesoamerica compared to Spain and, of course, the larger European Union. Especially since my work is centered around agriculture and how we can set up the infrastructure to assist growers on this continent who want to shift to regenerative management, I need to first gain an understanding of what has incentivized and built the system that we currently have. Of course, here, one of the largest influences that governs and regulates how people all around different parts of Europe farm and manage land is the common agriculture policy, known as the CAP. So in order to get a better understanding of the complex history and the nuanced current reality of the CAP, I reached out to my friend and colleague at Climate Farmers, Mateusz Chasnocha, our policy and industry advocacy lead in the company. Now in this episode, Mateusz explains a bit about the history of the CAP and how it's been used to accomplish its stated goal of creating food security as well as its effect on the development of the agricultural sector in Europe in the past decades. He also helps me to understand how the different countries within the European Union work within the CAP, as well as its differences in implementation in each member country. From there we talk about how the CAP will be changing in the next seven-year cycle, and how current events are creating controversy and challenges to the new rollout. Now be sure to stick around until the end when Mateusz gives his own opinion on how the CAP can be leveraged in the future to facilitate a regenerative transformation of agriculture in this region as well. Now as a new resident in this continent myself, all of this information has been new to me and I'm also realizing the global implications of the European Common Agricultural Policy. So even if you don't live in Europe, 
This is a good subject to build an understanding of because it may affect you more directly than you think. Also, please try and forgive me for my bumbling and misunderstandings along the way in this interview. Terminology has always tripped me up. So with that said, I'll hand things over now to Mateusz Chasnocha. So Mateusz, how would you describe what you do with climate farmers? Great question and thank you for having me, Olivier. And uh, it's, it's great also to be on Climate Farmers team, uh, supporting farmers in the uh, transition um, of farming in harmony with nature. Um, we, I just said the mission of Climate Farmers and this is how I also see my work at a, at a policy, political engagement, regulatory level. So just to give a little bit of perspective, my role within Climate Farmers is uh, policy and industry advocacy lead. Uh, that builds on me being a farmer, also me being uh, actively involved in global political and regulatory processes uh, that uh, are concerned with agriculture, mainly the climate process, uh, and a bunch of things I've done in that, in that space, uh, mainly as a farmer, but also as somebody who is lobbying for the farmers. And um, from that perspective, I see my work being uh, very consistent with the core of climate farmers activity, which is just like we are building infrastructure to scale regenerative agriculture in numerous fields, there's a, an infrastructure component to regulatory environment in which farmers are operating, which is the focus of my work. And what I mean by that concretely is we have the cap, which I guess will be a very big part of our conversation today. For those who don't know, CAP stands for uh, um, Common Agriculture Policy of the European Union. If you are from California or San Diego County in particular, it may stand for you um, to you as a climate action plan, which is very telling because this is precisely what I'm trying to do at my job with climate farmers and with our partners, which is building a bridge between climate policy of the European Union, which we see as being the key policy that is um, presenting the direction of action. We want to get to net zero by 2050 at the very latest. Uh, and all the other policies should be speaking to that policy, should be supporting it. Uh, and as we all know, with, with at climate farmers and, and farmers that we work with and partners also share this view, it's not only about getting to this mythical 2050 and net zero, it's very much about the transition and also harnessing numerous um, side benefits, societal, environmental, others that can be harnessed in that transition. So it's not only about you know, a hardcore numerical goal, it's very much about that, but the pathway is, is equally, if not more important than the goal itself. Uh, and you can, you know, watch our uh, think tanks and other resources that we have, including this podcast, in which we are talking at length about this, I don't want to say complex, but multifaceted reality, right? It's not about net zero per se. It is very much about that, but it's about so much more. And, and, and other people, Ivo, you, uh, Oliver, your guests, have done tremendous job of, of explaining what that is. So to wrap it up, my job is taking all of that and making necessary connections between policies, uh, mainly the common agriculture policy and climate policy, at also mainly European level, um, to contribute either by accelerating or initiating 
certain uh, infrastructure developments at policy level, which are key part, key component, but not only component of that vision of the world that climate farmers has. And this is why I was really excited to talk to you about this, because you are really in the thick of things when it comes to having the conversations that result potentially even in policy decisions that affect the agricultural industry directly. In fact, right now you are on a tour through the United States, which we were just talking about, where you have participated in a lot of discussions directly with farmers and others about, uh, well, about a lot of things. Maybe you can give me an idea about what you've been learning and the conversations you've been having on this trip sure so so i am i am one of the participants of uh, what is called ytd fellowship of the department of state uh, of the united states of america ytd stands for young transatlantic initiative for like something i i'm sorry like about the the full name i can look it up and if you want to no, no, it's okay. I recognize it's really early where you are. I wouldn't remember. No, no, I simply never got the name. Let me start the answer once again, and then you can simply yeah, cut yeah, it go out. ahead. Yeah, so um, I'm more than happy to tell you more about what I'm doing here in the US. I am at YTILI, which stands for the Young Transatlantic Innovation Leaders Initiative Fellowship Program of the Department of State of the United States of America, uh, which um, uh, takes me together with uh, 50 other entrepreneurs from across Europe uh, to the US to be exposed to the way you guys, I know you are American, but Americans are doing business and how this business culture works. Uh, and I am placed at an organization called Resource Conservation District of Greater San Diego County in California, at the very south of California. Uh, where I am basically um, sharing as well as learning um, knowledge or learning from my colleagues through meeting the farmers that they are working with, going to different conferences. And, and my trip here is very timely because like the one of the annual conferences on uh, climate action and uh, climate smart agriculture has just happened earlier this week. I've been there, really good conversations. It's really interesting to see how um, how similar policy conversations are. Um, and um, I made that comment discussing the earlier question, right? Like in Europe, CAP stands for Common Agriculture Policy. In California, it stands for Climate Action Plan. Um, Right and 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 like the challenge in Europe is how do you include more measurable uh, climate actions in the common agricultural policy? Here in California, the issue is more how do you include agriculture in what is a very ambitious climate action plan? So different, you know, different realities, but very very similar. Um, and needless to say, it's my pleasure to be here in the U.S. learning. Uh, all there is to be to be learned uh, here contribute somehow to those processes here in the US, as well as, of course, bring that knowledge back to Europe and through that be more efficient with our climate farmers policy work uh, and also have that impacting uh, our other activities business wise and advocacy wise. So let's take a step back because you've already defined what the common agricultural policy is, but it hasn't always existed. In fact, Europe has only really been around as a federation in that way since the beginning of the, the century. 
Can you tell me a bit about the history of the common agriculture policy and how it has affected agriculture across the continent since its formation? Yeah, so um, Europe is not a federation, it's a, it's a union. Sorry, uh, union. Which is, <laughs> which is super important to know. We are not a federation. Um, yeah, so, so to answer this question like quickly, but hopefully providing key pieces of information. As it is right now, the CAP common agriculture policy is the key policy of the European Union budget-wise, meaning within the budget of the European Union, biggest component of that budget, uh, money-wise, is spent on the common agriculture policy. That percentage is declining, um, but still it is the, the, the largest spending item uh, within the budget of the European Union as we speak uh, right now. Uh, that isn't to say that other policies of the EU, like the climate policy or uh, energy policy of the EU, EU are, are not equally important because they are. Um, only the mechanisms for implementing are different and the money might not be coming through taxation, but they might be you know, just designing a regulation so that the certain sector is uh, playing within the rules designed by the EU like with emission trading scheme EU ETS that agriculture might be part of at certain time uh, in the future or might not and the question is what do the farmers want like do we want to be part of that no if yes what is the pathway in either way that we as farmers uh, that climate farmers are supporting um, want in that future uh, and those are big questions that um are some of the questions we are answering right now with the, with the design of, of, of the new CAP. But talking about the past of the CAP, it has a long story. Uh, right now, the structure of the CAP is that it is being paid uh, for activities. So you are either doing something and you are eligible for a payment or you are not doing something and you are eligible for another set of payments. Um, and um, the objectives of the CAP are de defined uh, by the European Union. And by the European Union, I don't mean by you know, this mythical body that is Brussels, but by political processes where ministers of agriculture of, of all the EU member states are, are meeting and participating in discussions and processes that lead to the design of the common agriculture policy. It's not that Brussels is telling what the policy is, but it is a process in which the, part, the European Parliament, which is representing citizens directly, the ministers uh, representing, re not relevant, but, but uh, all the member states uh, with their policymaking efforts, and then commission that is uh, like having a, a convening role, European Commission in that process are basically designing what that common agriculture policy is. Usually it operates in seven years periods because EU budget is a seventh, seven year budget. So um, the, the last budget that we, that we have had as the EU is 20, 2013, 2020. Because of COVID, we are, we are, when it comes to the common agriculture policy, not in uh, a new budget uh, of seven years, 2020, 2027. But it has been decided that the previous uh, budgeting or programming period, as it is being called, has been extended for two more years because of COVID and because of some delays with the process, even without COVID. 
Um, and we will have the new common agriculture policy uh, starting uh, in uh, January next year for the period of five years. Um, and I guess we'll talk about the design of what is coming in, 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 in the previous, uh, sorry, in the next questions. So I will, I will not speak to that right now. <laughs> so, okay, so let me see if I understand this well. So within the union, there has been a budget that was passed for a seven-year period that was included in the, the previous legislation. It was supposed to expire in 2020, but because of COVID, it has been extended for an extra two years and the next period is only gonna be for five. And the budget that is then allocated is not only decided by representatives and agricultural ministers from all of the member states, but is also uh, received and partitioned out in different ways based on the agricultural policies of each individual country. Is that correct? Uh, yes, you are having that correct. Of course, budgetary like allocation is, I don't want to say a, a game because it is not a game, but it is a process, right? In which agriculture is, I mean, you will never have enough money for all your needs and wishes, whether that's agriculture or energy or whatever. Um, so that will be always a matter of consensus uh, between the ministers themselves within that industry and also other industries uh, having certain claim on uh, how the budget should be spent, but also proactively advocating for like, hey, you know, we we see this reality changing and now we need a uh, budget to look like that. Let me, if I, if I may talk about principles of the CAP, what is the CAP trying to deliver on? It is delivering on food security of European citizens. So the CAP is not really, uh, a farmer is not at the center of the CAP. What is at the center or who is at the center of the CAP is, uh, a citizen of the European Union, regardless of whether he or she is a farmer or a lawyer or bus driver. Um, and, and that is rooted in the history that we share as, as what now is European Union of basically Second World War and the famine that followed and all the, the, the difficulties and hardship that unfortunately our friends in Ukraine are uh, experiencing right now. Um, and that's why well, EU has been a response or what now is the EU has been a response to this memory and food security was one of the key responses uh, to that memory in particular. And that is seen in what the cap is right now. So it's focused on production, right? We want to be producing. We want to be food secure uh, calories wise. Uh, and uh, that has positive and negative consequences. So within that motivation, how has that actually played out for farmers since it was was initiated? I mean, what we're essentially talking about here is a subsidy system, right? That incentivizes certain behaviors or certain actions and disincentivizes others with this overall goal of creating food security within Europe. But how has that actually worked out for farmers? And you know this direct because of your involvement with farming in your home country of Poland. Exactly. And I think there is a, a two-sided answer to, to this great question, which is for our particular farm in, in, in Northern Poland, for Polish agriculture sector as such, and then for many farmers that I know, it has been a huge success. Um, what I mean by that is 
we would not be as uh, well functioning as uh, affluent farm as we are right now, if not the cap, if not the financial support and also technical support provided by the common agriculture policy. Um, so, so it has been tremendous. Like, like we are a huge benefactor of the cap as a farm and as Polish agricultural sector that I can speak to because I'm from there and I, I can see in my head a pathway that our agriculture would be on if not the EU and the pathway with the e with us being in the eu and therefore us being subject to the cap the common agriculture policy and i can tell you that where we are right now is indefinitely better than where we would be without the cap however can you expand on that real quick can you go into a little bit of detail about where you see those trajectories kind of diverging with or without the assistance or the participation of of europe yeah, so so first thing would be uh, two things, access to modern technology, uh, so like ability to invest and therefore uh, raise your level of production, which in the case of our farm was connected with increasing, pro uh, not productivity, productivity as well, but profitability, which is not really the metric that we talk about in agriculture a lot, right? We are, which is what I wanted to speak to next. Like, like the metric used in agriculture is productivity, not sorry, like how much you're producing, not how profitable you are. Uh, so financial literacy, and I'm sure you are, you've already have spoken to that in your podcast or you will be speaking to that because it's a huge topic. It is really a challenge, right? Like, like yeah, like it might make sense. Nice, you are achieving those yields, but like how much money are you actually making? Plus, if we include all the externalities on top of that, uh the, the number might be also completely different um but but ability to invest uh, has has been dramatically changed right like we would not have access to technology both capital wise um and market access wise if not the european union which is my second point but market access uh point from being able to sell to the eu uh which now we are doing directly as a farm. We are exporting hay to Germany, to to Austria, to uh, to the Netherlands, uh, which would be much more difficult, if at all possible, uh, without the European Union. And uh, kind of input-wise, being tractors or other agricultural technologies, I'm sure that if we would not be part of the European Union as Poland, access to those technologies would be either much more limited and or expensive uh, than it is right now. Um, which, I mean, indirectly speaks to your, uh, to your profitability as well, right? Because if you have access to better technologies and or cheaper technologies, um, that has a material impact on, the, on your bottom line. Um, so those are concrete examples from, from our farm, both on like market access and, and technology side, which brings me to once again, um, the, the second part of the answer, which is more, I don't want to call it negative, but like side effects that are just a reality that we are experiencing uh, at the farm level and more broadly at the systemic level, which are, uh, I've already spoken to that a little bit, which is this focus 
also of the common agriculture policy, but, but this narrative is much more broader than, than in the cup only, of talking about production, right? Like we want to be producing calories. We are not really talking about economic viability of that production. Uh, and in particular with a growing body of knowledge and awareness and insights in how though on how this production in a current agricultural system that we are having is leading to environmental externalities and trying to measure those uh, we are starting to see that the agriculture production system that we are in is really not that resilient and sustainable um, and I'm happy to say, you know, the trajectory of our farm and and an average farm differs here because we simply follow the pathway that very few farmers followed uh, within the cap of, of transitioning to more sustainable and, and then what we now like to think of as regenerative. But we are unfortunately uh, a very unique farm from that perspective. And that brings us to, I guess, talking about challenges of the cap which is you, you can see that over years, um, the cab is becoming more environmental. Uh, there are more and more conditionality measures as they are being called. So in order to be eligible for a subsidy, you know, you have to um, put a cover crop on part of your land. Uh, and that is really being um, challenged by majority of the farmers who are in the narrative of um, we want to be producing, right? Like, and now, especially with the war in Ukraine, the narrative is like, so what, like, like, do we want to have environment or do we want to have food on our, on our plates? Which as I'm sure, or maybe no, but like, I, I guess a lot of the listeners of that podcast will know this is not really the question we are faced with, right? Like we can have both and maybe even more so we need both because the state of our soil is like, at least in Poland, and unfortunately that goes for a lot of other European countries as well, that state is declining like in alarming ways. And alarming is like very, very nice word to be used. Uh, right. the state yes. is, is Definitely is the really case here in Spain as well. Yeah. I just received an email earlier today, like informing me that in 14 out of 16 regions that Poland has, Voivode ships, as they are called, or the equivalent of a land in Germany or state in the US, you know, in 14 out of 16, we have drought that has been measured and reported and verified and so on. And of course, you know, climate is changing. But if you have been as a farmer plowing your field for the last 15 years, as most of the farmers have, like, I'm, I'm sorry, but there's something to be done there, right? And the cap is trying to I will use the word push farmers in that direction. And I think the challenge we are having, which is precisely where climate farmers fit in and where my work at policy level fits in is to change this mindset from pushing to, um, to supporting, to enabling, to encouraging, right? So that as we've been talking in the past, we are not fighting, like this policy is not fighting with the other one, but is speaking with the other one. And here there's a tremendous role from my perspective of member states to be to be doing, right? Like, like the, the way common agriculture policy and other 
policies of the of the EU are being communicated is that when something is hard, you know, it is this mythical Brussels that doesn't really exist. There's there's no mythical Brussels. There are certain political processes happening in Brussels because that's where Commission is located. That that both the representatives, i.e., the ministers and and relevant ministries, but also citizens themselves, they are participating in or they are invited to participate in. Um, and we have, and Ivo speaks to that brilliantly in our uh, think tank sessions, we have planetary boundaries that we are crossing. The challenge is uh, very clear and very pressing, and we have the opportunity to do something with that, and farmers are at the center of that response. Uh, and, uh, you know, if I achieve only one thing uh, with this podcast is to like making one farmer think like, oh, can I manage my land differently? Can I move from being a manager of this land to being a steward of the ecosystem that has been uh, entrusted to me? I've achieved my purpose. Right? Then we would do that with two or three or four farmers, as we are trying to do as climate farmers through our Carbon Plus uh, certificates right now and, and other activities e even better um sorry for talking so much no no that's fine this is really good and so i'm trying to understand where the differences in implications of how this is rolled out in different countries has been at least up until now maybe this is going to change as governments tend to shift a lot quicker within each individual country within the european union but have you seen vast differences in how the money is being used or how it's being allocated in different parts of Europe? Great question. So far, till the policy that the cap that we are in right now that should have finished two years ago, but has been prolonged, we are not really seeing big differences across member states because um, the cap structure has been decided in those processes involving all the ministers of the European Union or the agriculture ministers of the European Union at, at the union level. So uh, the, the policies were, were European. Uh, and then the implementation with different amounts of money was, was, was uh, adjusted at the, at the national level. Um, but the structure of the cap was similar across across the EU, with the difference being that the payments rates, and here like, I will be simplifying a little bit the process, but like basically older member states had higher rates for like area payments, right? Like, like for one hectare, you get X amount of euros, that was higher for Germany than it was for Poland for historical reasons. And like, like the, once again, there was a process why that was the case. Um, the, the cap that we are entering into uh, since the beginning of next year will be significantly different from the perspective of the question you are asking uh, than all the previous caps. The reason for that is um, it has been decided following principle of subsidiarity. So like, you know, the decision is being made at the lowest level possible that the EU, the ministers of agriculture, um, will set priorities on what CAP has to deliver at the union level. And then the specific design of the CAP, the common agriculture policies, policy, sorry, policy, but at national level, will be 
designed by the member states themselves. Uh, so this time the Commission, the European Commission has not been proposing, you know, like, hey, this is what we want to deliver and this is how we will be delivering that. But the Commission with the ministers agreed, this is what we want to deliver on and, and agency has been given to member states in order to propose a, a, an answer to how they want to deliver that uh, through so-called national strategic plans, which were drafted um, early last year. They have been consulted in the member states uh, throughout last year. Uh, after those consultations and some amendments that have been done in a few iterations in each member state, they have been submitted to the European Commission for assessment. That assessment has arrived back, I believe on the 31st of March uh, this year, uh, but it has been published a little bit later. Um, and now, uh, so, so the commission has either said, either say, um, okay, we like it, it's ready for implementation, or it said, it still needs some works work in order to be implemented, which for example, it, that's what the commission said towards the Polish national strategic plan. And right now, like on the 27th of May, 2022, we are at the stage in which um, national governments are once again looking at the feedback provided by the commission and modifying if they have to, or if they've been asked to, their national strategic plans to be resubmitted to the commission so that before the end of this year, we have an agreement between the member state and commission, how that strategic plan looks like. And so it will be implemented uh, starting on January 1st next year. If I may say one thing uh, about that uh, process is that it has been positive. I mean, I have participated very actively in this feedbacking sessions with the Polish Ministry of Agriculture and there was dialogue there. The, of course, there are challenges with a process like that, which is participatory because you have a lot of feedback coming and you cannot satisfy everyone. Um, but a, a big uh, a real challenge that I'm seeing with the CAP is that if you consider uh, CAP timeline, which the, CAP, the next one will be from 2023 to 2027, and you consider the timeline of our climate ambitions, which is net zero by 2050 at the very latest and 55% greenhouse gas emission reductions by 2030, uh, there is a, a, a real challenge that agriculture will not be able to deliver as much as it could and in my personal opinion should uh, on our climate efforts because the cap that we are you know, discussing right now and that will close very soon will finish in 2027. Um, and then the next one will start in 2028, which will be only two years to 2030, in which uh, really the biggest effort in terms of uh, eliminating greenhouse gas emissions, uh, which is mainly methane, which is energy and agriculture, uh, you know, should happen. Um, and, and also within that, I'm seeing a huge uh, just reality, not even a risk of divergence between different member states. Uh, so like one member states will be, you know, 
very advanced when it comes to promoting carbon farming, as we call it at Climate Farmers. Some will be significantly less, um, uh, yeah, less promoting of that for various reasons. And by the time we get converge, convergence in that field across the EU, climate, climate science-wise, and our policy objectives wise, climate policy objective wise, they, therefore, it will be it, it it will be significantly harder to put climate farmers at the at the center of climate change mitigation adaptation efforts in a profitable way for those farmers than it is now. It is not easy right now, as I'm sure you can attest. Uh, you know, knowing the field that we are working, uh, it's it's not easy now, and it will be it will be only harder in 2027, 2028. Uh, this is why I think why our work as climate farmers and other organizations working in that space, and in particular, like the, the stream of work that I am spearheading, which is the political engagement, is so important because it's complex. It's easy to say we'll deal with that later because we still need something we are not sure. But the reality is we are late already, and it's a matter of will we be late or later it's like the timing is is never good right now unfortunately and yeah. the war in ukraine is only like proving that point right and right. Uh, the narrative that we as climate farmers would like to propose is that you know it, it's not a question of do you want to have calories on your food or do you want to have a resilient system you, you want to have both you can have both it is more profitable as the cases of our farmers are showing uh, and uh, it's it's a matter of 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 taking all those who are willing from this reality that we are in right now to this reality that we can and and I would argue we should be because it simply makes sense financial, uh, environmental, social, social, societal, yeah. Well, so let me see if I'm still following you because you talked about a general impression that it's a positive thing that the member states have more ability to self-determine how they're going to apply the money and come up with a strategy for their own countries. However, you also ex expressed apprehension or perhaps even a little bit of disappointment about it not going far enough, especially within the timelines that we're working with. Do you see any cause for optimism or hope in the changes that are being implemented? Or do you think that this is just not enough yet, or there's still a lack of real understanding about the scope of what needs to be done? I think like I will maybe not repeat what I've said, but like I am definitely excited about the framework and where we are going, uh, speed and the size of the snowball is not making me very happy. Good news is that, you know, like the dots that we are discussing here between climate and, and agriculture and, and other are known to the European Commission. Right, so the European Commission therefore is working on tools like infrastructure, like uh, physical or digital infrastructure, that will be enabling at least part of what we want to see in order to arrive to that reality, like Europe-wide standard for measuring, reporting, verifying carbon sequestration in agriculture. That is happening, um, and. Technically speaking, or yeah, technically speaking, those things are not difficult. 
once you understand you know what is there to be done the problem that we are having is the narrative and we talk about that a lot so far right we talk about the narrative of production not the narrative of resilience and 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 production within what we would call planetary boundaries uh, or within you know ecosystem limits so that we are not degenerating ecosystem while producing a lot of calories which might be empty but we are regenerating ecosystem or if you want to make it even more concrete we are building up soil health which then in turn is producing nutritious uh, healthy food uh, but the, the lens has changed a little bit and when we talk about uh, and when i see you know technical things happening i'm excited about those like we are moving in the right direction um when i see and hear the narrative around where we are and where we could be going i am i am really disappointed with that um, um that's why once again i will be promoting our our podcast and and your podcast and and our think tank series and 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 the work of others in that space because what this is really about is is a narrative um that has you know material impact on us like owning the dots that are connected um and here i i my personal experience as a farmer is that politicians and regulators or those who were the the the, the two hats at the same time those who happen to be in regulatory positions but they are politicians um i have the biggest um yeah, my biggest uh, um, disappointment with is with that group of people, basically. Um, yeah, that's been reflected as well in like the the conversations that I've been having, and maybe you've seen it as well. There is a general suspicion of the capacity of people who are making decisions at the level of Brussels or at the level of uh, individual states to relate to and actually sympathize with the real challenges of modern farming. And you and I both understand just how broad that sector is. To call someone a farmer could be as diverse as someone who takes care of a fishery or someone who tills fields and harvests grain or manages an orchard or harvests lumber or runs a market garden. Like this is a very, very broad sector. And to make any kind of policy decisions that are across the board, either positive or negative for such a diverse sector is very difficult. And it's, it's not always sure that the people who are in a decision-making role or a leadership role really understand the challenges of what people who are working on the ground face. Do you feel that's the case as well? I feel your, uh, uh, I feel the the criticism or the like the the, the feeling that you have expressed uh, and I hear that a lot uh, in my personal experience I don't I don't share that because it happens that you know I'm working daily with people in this mythical Brussels and I think very highly of them and also as I understand the process it's it's not about a decision it's about processes that you know have some decision making points in those processes like we we talked about the cab it's a on average, or usually it's a seven year budgeting period, right? Like that starts one day and finishes one day 
and there's a process and then you implement and then you have the next one and like and and when somebody thinks be it a minister or being a farmer that like you know there's somebody making a decision that is like their decision i don't share that view i i I, I very much look at this as a process that you don't fully control, but you can definitely participate in. We talked about public consultations as well, right? Uh, that I have participated in as uh, as a farm. We have participated that as a, as a farm. We have participated that as uh, European carbon farmers. We have participated in some others uh, recently as climate farmers. And there are many more that are coming up because we simply understand that there's a there's a political process or there's a, a decision-making process connected with developing carbon farming, carbon farming framework at the EU. And, and for me, it's all about the agency, right? So, so when we are, which is also can be connected with my experience here in the US, the major difference that I'm seeing between the, the US uh, agriculture, but also culture more broadly and, and my culture, Polish culture, is that you know when farmers meet or somebody meets here and, and they are talking as they very often do about challenges, the, the question that emerges after that conversation is not, okay, so what should somebody do in order to address this, which you know in the European context that would lead us to Brussels, like, okay, like then like the Brussels with the next cap should do something better because this one is wrong. But the question that emerges in the US is what can we do given that. Uh, and I think this is fundamentally what we are about as, as climate farmers, right? If there is like one thing that would tell me somebody is in a re regenerative mindset, he or she is uh, is owning stuff, right? Like, like she or he has agency to, to, to sometimes not do anything because you cannot do, but like you have this question in your kind of thinking process of like, okay, so therefore what, what should I do, right? Um, and you realize that you actually don't have to do that much uh, because those processes are happening and it's a matter of picking up a phone call and, and having a, a, a conversation as once again, the US is showing us, you know, you, you truly can do that and it, and it works. And those are, we all know that those are simple things. Uh, but when talking about the snowball effect, when, you know, you add that up, across a society that is not even mobilized, but like has agency, uh, that's amazing. And that's why I've said, you know, I'm super excited about the new cup being designed in this structure that is delegated to the member states, because it is following this very principle of, of uh, we want to involve more, we want to provide opportunities for acting on your agency. And then the the criticism with that process is, you know, that agency is not there and, and more often than not, uh, there's not enough encouragement to take that agency, right? Like, like, like you would be having those conversations. I mean, I'm having those conversations on like, hey, you can do that. Like, have you participated in this, in this, in this other process, right? Or if you were meeting with a minister of agriculture that, uh, you know, I, 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 I do sometimes, uh, what would you say to him or her, him in the Polish case? Um, and and then the, like very often, like I don't get a, an answer that I can share with the minister. It's like, like you should do his job better, right? Like, okay, like we all know that, but like what specifically does it mean? And that brings me to what I started with. 
which is the process, right? Uh, I don't expect you as a farmer, and this is what I often share about my job, that I really would like to be driving a tractor for two months of a year and then doing something else for the next 10. Uh, that is not politics because I wish that was happening already. Um, but hey, I participated in certain processes that led me to be where I am. And I'm super privileged to be having a big responsibility in the job that I'm doing. Um, but it's all about the process, right? I don't expect you as a farmer that is being asked for the first time in your life, what would you tell to your minister to have a, a you know, a, a perfect answer. Um, but uh, what I hope for is that more and more of us will be, you know, like going through processes that basically lead us to this regenerative future that we want to see as climate farmers and mm. many others. This is a really interesting perspective. And, you know, we're, we're just about out of time. I know you got a lot of work to get to, but I have one more question that hopefully will lead this into what I'm hoping is going to be an ongoing series where we can really pick apart some of the more detailed aspects of how agriculture is governed in Europe and how it affects people on the ground. What would you tell to farmers listening to this about what to expect in the next CAP uh, series or, or rollout? that is different from what they might be used to? Is it really so different between member states that you'd have to speak to them individually? Or are there some general things that they should perhaps be aware of or prepare for, for this next phase of the cap? I would say, great question. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to like reflect on that question and, and answer it. I would say, be a leader and go beyond the cap as many of the farmers are already doing and run this thinking exercise in your head which is what if cap was not there how would my farm look like uh, and then maybe act on those insights uh, because we didn't talk about that at all um, uh, in this in this interview but one of the huge elephants in the room is that we are no longer treating subsidies including the cap as something that you know might be might not be there it's like there it's on my balance sheet of a farm that's why we argue as climate farmers we need a transformation of the cap structure away from action-based payments in which in which we are in right now which are kind of like you know you are entitled to those and this is the mindset that we are in to result-based payments in which we are paying for what we are delivering because we are you know delivering social goods and being paid from tax money. And therefore we should really deliver on that uh, social credit that the cap is um, also like having as part of its structure. And then also as climate farmers, we believe that that will lead the cap to be connected very efficiently with the climate policies that the EU has. And we would love to see transformational role of private carbon markets in that transformation process. And we would like to see uh, at some point, hopefully soon, um, seeing private money flowing into that structure that the cap will enable, right? So right now we have private carbon market and we have, we have the cap, which are not connected. The question is how do you accelerate uh, one transforming the other and make this work and and this transformation from action-based to result-based we believe is the key to making that happen 
and and this is the political path that I and we are navigating um, politically, basically. Um, but my answer to the farmer would be, you are a leader, go beyond the cap, think what would happen if the cap is not there. And, and I'm sure that will lead you to some insights. Talk with your friends, talk with the other farmers about those topics, even, and especially if you disagree, that's amazing. And like, you know, don't take that personally, but like just as a thinking exercise hey what do you think what do you think what would that look for your farm for my farm what would that look for our farms you know if the cup is not there or if you do this and i do this or if we together do something and one final thing i will say um would be you are a carbon farmer if somebody told you you are not or maybe you are not sure you are a carbon farmer because your farm, whether you know it or not, and now you know it, whether you like it or not, and I hope you like it, is embedded in an ecosystem that has ecosystem services and ecosystem cycles or cycles of nature that are present in that ecosystem. One of those cycles is a carbon cycle. The question is, are you decreasing that cycle, i.e. you are degenerative, are you keeping it stable, i.e. you are sustainable, or are you, which is what we, and I hope you yourself want to be, are you increasing, uh, enhancing this cycle, hence being regenerative? And all the farmers of the world are carbon farmers. The thing is some, a lot of them are not aware about that. Uh, and, and because of that, in big part, uh, most of the farmers of the world are fairly poor carbon farmers. Uh, so, so you know, if 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 there's one like clear thing I want you to know, is that you are a carbon farmer and and you are having a tremendous privilege and responsibility of being a steward of that particular ecosystem your farm is embedded in. And thank you for your service, basically, because you are doing a tremendous job. And we are here to help you uh, do your do do this service uh, a little bit better, either through our carbon plus credits or me doing, me and, and our team doing with partners, doing work at the political dimension so that this big blurry word that I hope has been uh, explained a little bit better within, within those uh, quite a few minutes that we talked, um, you know, so that you are represented well there and your interests are represented there because you are at the center of my and our work uh, as climate farmers and we are doing that for you um so also the invitation is open to reach out if you have any questions we need to clarify anything or you want your particular voice with whatever that is uh, be heard at any level uh, politically national european others un we are here to serve you so uh, feel free to reach out at any point in time uh, and we are here to serve Fantastic, man. I really like that perspective and that call to action there. I want to second that as well, because I have learned and continue to increase in my ability of the services and the work that I do through Climate Farmers, which is focused around creating transitional programs and helping people directly, both at the business and at the ecological planning level. But really, like you expressed, the change in the cap is also an invitation to reassess how you do business, how you manage your landscapes, and look forward into a future where those things become mm, of a higher quality, of better profitability for you, your family, your business, your community, and really a holistic view of the benefit that can come from good management of the land, 
of the other aspects that your business interacts with. And like this is really part of a larger community for which we all have responsibility and all have a contribution to make. I really like your invitation to uh, join the conversation that we're having because we are informed as well as the people who get in touch with us, give us information, share their perspective, even tell us where they disagree. And this helps us kind of guiding like a compass how we, well, like in your case, speak with people at decision-making levels throughout the government, myself in creation of programs and educational resources for transforming businesses and land stewardship. And there are so many other aspects and levels of our company that are really hungry for feedback and conversation for people who are in a land stewardship role. Yeah. hundred percent, especially if you disagreed with any points. Uh, Hugely. Any points that I've mentioned, like, yeah. like, please, please get in touch, especially if you disagree. I want to talk with you. Absolutely. Or Absolutely. I want to listen to you. <laughs> well, hopefully this will continue to be a good educational resource as we further explore aspects of the European agricultural policy, its developments, its changes, and also the feedback that we get as these series continue on. So Mateusz, thank you so much for taking the time. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. I really appreciate your insights and how much it helps me in my line of work as well. And good luck with the rest of your tour around the United States. I look forward to seeing you when you come back. Thank you for having me. Thank you for uh, your service farmers. And uh, we are here to serve you going forward. So please get in touch and thank you for your work. Thanks once again to Mateusz. Now I'll be posting all of the links and the contacts that we talked about on the show notes for this episode on the website, where you can also find all the previous episodes from the last five seasons. Now before we wrap this up, I want to let you know that if you're still uncertain about the coming changes to the common agriculture policy and want assistance not only in adopting the changes, but to even go beyond the requirements to create an ecological and profitable farm business, remember that you can now contact us at Climate Farmers directly to be matched with an expert in regenerative agriculture. There's no need to go on your journey towards regenerative management of your land and your farm business alone. Just click the link on the show notes for this episode on the website and you'll be connected with one of our representatives who will help to evaluate your unique needs and your context in order to match you with a professional who will help you to break through to your next level. We can help to connect you or someone that you know with people like Harriet Mella, Mark Shepard, Ray Archuleta, Ademir Caligari, and so many more. You can also learn more about how our work and our growing list of services for farmers in Europe is developing at climatefarmers.org. And if you like this new thread focused on regenerative farming and the consultants who assist in the transition process, you can drop me a line at oliver at climatefarmers.org to send your feedback and to make recommendations of people and topics that you would like to hear more about. And that's our show for this week. As always, don't forget to keep taking those little steps every day towards a regenerative future, and I'll be right by your side along the way.